Our text for today comes from two places. The first is 2 Samuel 5, uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Um, and then in your bulletins, we have listed uh, chapter 6, 1 through 5, and we're actually doing a little bit of a change um, that we're going to be doing um, chapter 6, verses 1 through 23. Um, and you'll understand more why I've kind of made it a little bit longer just because it's a kind of an important story for you all to know. So, let us begin. All the Israelite tribes came to David at Hebron and said, Listen, we are your very own flesh and bone. In the past, when Saul ruled over us, you were the one who led Israel out to war and back. What's more, the Lord told you, you will shepherd my people Israel, and you will be Israel's leader. So all the Israelite elders came to the king at Hebron. King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he became king, and he ruled for 40 years. He ruled over Judah for seven and a half years in Hebron, and then he ruled for 33 years over all of Israel and Judah in Jerusalem. And now Second Samuel 6. Again, David gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000, and David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name called by the name of the Lord of hosts dwelleth among the cherubims. One moment here. They loaded God's chest on a new cart and carried it from Abinadad's house who was on the hill. Uzzah and Ayo, Abinadad's sons, were driving the new cart. Uzzah was beside God's chest while Ahio was walking in front of it. Meanwhile, David and the entire house of Israel celebrated in the Lord's presence with all of their strength, with songs, zithers, hearts, tambourines, rattles, and cymbals. When they approached Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah reached out to God's chest and grabbed it because the oxen had stumbled. The Lord became angry at Uzzah, and God struck him there because of his mistake, and he died there next to God's chest. And David got angry because the Lord's, Lord's anger lashed out against Uzzah, so that place is called Perez Uzzah today. David was frightened. Sorry. David was frightened by the Lord that day. How will I ever bring the Lord's chest to me, he asked. So David didn't take the chest away with him to David's city. Instead, he put it in the house of Obed-Edom, who was from Gath. The chest stayed with Obed-Edom, household of Gath, for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom's household and all that he had. King David was told the Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's family and everything he has because of God's chest being there. So David went and brought God's chest up from Obed-Edom's house to David's city with celebration. Whenever those bearing the chest advanced six steps, David sacrificed an ox and a fatling calf. David, dressed in a linen priestly vest, danced with all of his strength before the Lord. This is how David and the entire house of Israel brought up the Lord's chest with shouts and trumpet blasts. 
As the Lord's chest entered David's city, Saul's daughter, Michal, was watching him from a window. She saw King David jumping and dancing before the Lord, and she lost all respect for him. The Lord's chest was brought in and put in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. Then, then David offered entirely burnt offerings in the Lord's presence, in addition to well-being sacrifices. When David finished offering the entirely burned offerings of the well-being sacrifices, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of the heavenly forces. He distributed food among all the people to the whole crowd, male and female, each receiving a loaf of bread, a date cake, and a raisin cake. Then all the people went back to their homes. David went to bless his household, but Saul's daughter Michal came out to meet him. How did Israel's king honor himself today? By exposing himself in plain view of the female servants of his subject, like any indecent person would. David replied to Michal, I was celebrating before the Lord who chose me over your father and his entire family and who appointed me leader over the Lord's people over Israel. And I will celebrate before the Lord again. I may humiliate myself even more and I may be, uh, may be humbled in my own eyes, but I will be honored by those female servants you are talking about. Michal, Saul's daughter, had no children to the day she died. This is the word of God for all the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. This past Labor Day weekend, Daniel and I went to San Diego to visit our friend Jim. One of the things that we did, of the many things we did while we were visiting um, Jim in Southern California, is to drive up to Los Angeles. Um, all of us are people that love and are interested in cars, and we went to see the Peterson Car Museum, which is located in town. And we spent the rest of the day kind of going around, driving in different parts of, of LA that neither Daniel or I had really seen before, like Beverly Hills and Santa Monica. And towards the end of the day, we found ourselves at the La Brea Tar Pits. Um, if you have not ever seen the Tar Pits, they are, are something that you should see. It's an interesting way of seeing kind of what life was like probably thousands and millions of years ago. Next to the where the tar pits are located is actually in a park. And it's in a park that to the next of it is the LA County Museum. And then there is an open kind of venue. And obviously this is the type of park where you could bring people in, bands could play, and that's what was happening this evening. Uh, there was actually that night a Latin band. And they were actually playing the type of dance and the music that I'm familiar with, merengue. I like to dance, but I am not the world's greatest dancer. And I always feel that I'm a bit self-conscious about dancing, partially because I always feel like I have some coordination problems and I, I don't want to get things wrong. And I was interested in dancing, but I was really afraid of kind of making a wrong step. So I didn't want to make a fool of myself. I kind of just stood on the side, but enjoying it. I wanted to, but it was too nervous about making a mistake. And of course, when you come from 
in your background cultures that that's what they do is dance you kind of want to dance but you want to do it right and you get nervous but the thing about dancing is that it is something that is symbolic of freedom there is something in many ways that is spiritual about dancing which is ironic because it seems so freeing that in many some cultures and some especially some religions have sought to ban dancing it was a little too scary for them but dancing has been a way to give thanks and praise to God in fact dancing can be a metaphor for our relationship with God so in our text today we are going to be talking about David David is one of the most well-known figures in the Bible. He looms large in Scripture, both in the Old Testament or in the Hebrew Scriptures and in the New Testament. So today we're only kind of taking a small part of this large saga of David. And in these passages today, what we are reading is about the consolidation of his power. David had ran an insurgent campaign against the first king of Israel, King Saul, who had lost God's favor. He, there, basically what happened was a civil war broke out in Israel, and it split the southern half from the northern half. David became king of the southern half of Israel for seven years. And now after Saul's death, the northern tribes have decided that David should be their king as well. So now the nation is united, it is whole. And David decides to create and to make a capital for this new nation, and, he, and it became Jerusalem, a place that was not claimed by any of the tribes. Now, he considered himself the shepherd or the steward of the nation. He, know, he knew and realized that the mantle of leadership was now his. And one of the things that he wanted to do was to bring the Ark of the Covenant to the capital where he was. As king, he felt the need to bring this important artifact to Jerusalem so that people could know that God was present with God's people. Now, if you're going to do anything with the Ark of the Covenant, you have to do it with an ounce of caution and respect. This is a symbol of the presence of God. It is something that is powerful. It is something that is not to be toyed with. The funny thing is, is even that our own pop culture tells us the Ark is something you don't mess with. Many of us, of course, have seen the 1981 movie of Raiders of the Lost Ark. And you know what happens when the Nazis decide to open the Ark. We all know it's not pretty. Seeing a bunch of Nazis melt is not something that you likely forget. So David, anyway, decides to take this Ark to Jerusalem. Of course, the question now is, how do you get it there? 
Well, David decides he's going to put the ark on an ox cart to take it to Jerusalem. That seemed like the practical choice. So the procession begins. The ark is carried, and there is a festive scene as the music plays, as David dances, the people are joyful. David had to be proud because this is a great act, a great act that symbolized the unity of the people. And those around him were excited as well. After years of war, after years of separation, the nation was being knit together. So this was a big party. But then something happens. The cart is making its way down the road. It must have hit some kind of rough patch that made the ark unsteady. So a young priest that was in a part of the procession, Uzzah, instinctively and probably innocently reaches out to protect the ark. And so he ends up touching it. And immediately, God strikes him dead. So if you want to end the party, this is one way of doing it. Everybody stops. The joyous scene of a few seconds prior all of a sudden becomes a scene of panic and sheer terror. People had seen the awesome power of God and it scared everyone, especially David. David was mad at God, mad that someone else had to be punished for something. But he is also scared to death. That parade pretty much just ends. He has seen the power of God. It is not pretty. The ark now was something that he feared. And an event rattled him so much that he had to take the ark. He had to give it to a family for them to keep safe. And that's where it was for three months. David had placed the ark under his care. He felt it was his responsibility to bring it into Jerusalem. But in some ways, he was also careless with the ark. He didn't realize that to be in the presence of God was serious business. David was not part of the priestly class, so he didn't really know what the proper protocol was. He didn't ask how the ark was to be handled, and he didn't pay attention to what had happened when someone else earlier handled the ark, and that was the Philistines. They stole the ark, which, and, but it brought them nothing but trouble. There was no face melting, but it was still not good for them. David forgot the power of God. There were certain rules about how you cared for the ark, and there was a specific way that you had to, tra to travel to carry the ark. You had to use poles, poles that would basically slide into the ark itself and then have men carrying it on their shoulders. That was the way that they were supposed to do it. That was also a way that made it far more steady than just simply putting it on an ark ox cart. David was not thinking about how the ark should travel. He felt that this was his responsibility, but let's also be honest, he was also a politician. And there was probably a little bit of braggadocio 
about this as well for him. He was the king of the, of the united Israel. And because he was bringing the ark into the new capital of a unified nation, that spotlight was going to be on him. He would be seen as the great king, the one who brought the holy ark into the center of everything. David took his role as king for granted. He let it go to his head. He was so focused on himself and on this moment that he forgot about God. And it took the sudden death of a young man with good intentions to snap him back to reality. This reminds us a little bit about David, that David was someone that did care and did love and wanted to follow God. But David was also human. And David, this was not the first time that he would let his role as king go to his head. We will read later, we read later in chapter 11 of David's interaction with Bathsheba. Some scholars think in many ways that it was less of an affair and more of rape. And it was a sign of how power could go to David's head. There is a lesson in us for in this tale. It is a reminder that God is alive and God is present in our world. The thing is, even though we go to church every Sunday, we can tend to forget that God is not only present in the world, but that God is powerful. Do we live expecting that God will appear, that God will make God's self known in our lives? Or do we live as functional atheists, acting as if God does not exist? So a few months pass. David decides now it is finally time to take up the ark and to get take back and to be bar, back into the celebration again. He is back. And as we read, the procession this time is far more intentional. It's far more careful. But that doesn't mean that he dances any less. He dances, though. And maybe the first dance that he did was more of, a, of, of the kind of uh, the arrogance or how full of himself he was. But this dance was different. This one was a dance of true praising God. It was no longer more about himself. It was about God. And he gets caught up in the moment. And some uh, versions of this tale says that he gets so caught up in the moment, dancing in such a fervor, that he dances in a way that could be described as maybe in the buff. Of course, and this bothered his wife, the queen, Michal. He was, she was the daughter of the late King Saul, and she thought it was undignified to be dancing in such a state. And true, this was hardly how a king should dance. But David retorts that he will do even more undignified things for the glory of God. God's power, as David realized, was something to be respected and something to be celebrated. Worship is about being in the presence of God. 
And that should bring us a sense of solemnity and also a sense of praise. We want to take this time when we gather to worship as one that is serious. Serious enough that we, at times, give thanks to God. And maybe sometimes even dance a little. Being in the presence of God means being serious, but it is also about having so much joy that you cannot stand still. So what does this mean for our own church? Thankfully, we don't have an Ark of the Covenant to worry with or worry about. I would rather not melt or drop dead. Thank you very much. But when we come here every week, we are in the presence of God. Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger, who later became Pope Benedict XVI, has said that worship is not just something that we do on a weekly basis. It is not simply a rote exercise. He says that it is something more. And this is what he says. The liturgy is never a mere meeting of a group of people. Heaven is torn open here, and we are incorporated in the great chorus of praise. And we know that we are not alone, that we are joining in, that the barrier between earth and heaven has been torn open. Heaven is a party, and worship is a chance, is an invitation to God's party. The church should be about dancing in our lives, literally and metaphorically. We need to be able to express our joy of God in public in all that we do. If we share a meal with the poor, we do so in joy. If we share the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone, we do it in joy. I pray that we can also, as a congregation, be given second sight to see God truly active in the world. That God is not simply just something that we talk about, and, and definitely God is not some type of concept, but that God is alive and active. And I pray that we are a church that is not so self-conscious that we forget to give praise to God. My husband, Daniel's side of the family, is musically gifted. Daniel and his sister and his brother-in-law and nephews are all have wonderful voices. They take part in choirs. They sing different instruments. Truly, that is a talent within the family. That did not, was not gifted necessarily to his older brother, John. John doesn't always sing on key. Actually, he never sings on key. But the thing is, and since I've had the opportunity to actually sit next to him at times, that doesn't stop him from singing. I have sat next to him and he will sing. And he will sing loudly, off key. The thing is that he doesn't necessarily have the gift 
to sing well, but he still sings, and he does it with gusto. He sings in such a way that you can sense, that you can know that he is giving praise to God, the God that created the earth, the one that raised Jesus from the dead, the one that is coming again. So then, let us not sit on the sidelines afraid. Let us, as the church and this church, join in, give praise to God, a God that is awesome in all meanings of the word. And as the song says, dance, dance wherever you may be. For I am the Lord of the dance, said he, and I'll lead you all wherever you may be. And I'll lead you on in the dance, said he. So just, just dance. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.